If they're due for a raise, you know, I think, you know, it is important to go out and just, just check. I think it's important every once in a while to just see what is this job being paid in the market? There, the beauty of salary transparency laws these days is that there is so much salary information published on LinkedIn, on Glassdoor, on salary.com, payscale.com. There's a new website called opencomp.com. And you could just go out and say, okay, as a director of XYZ, um, you know, what is this role typically paid? And it's important to not just match the title, but to look at the descriptions of the actual work and make sure that lines up as well. Welcome to High Trust Professionals, a podcast where we interview top industry and community leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs from across the country. Hear what it takes to build trust, be a respected leader, be productive, and win your day. Sit back and relax as we dive into another episode of High Trust Professionals podcast. Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to High Trust Professionals podcast. I'm Lynette Aerosmith, your host. And I am here today with Kelly Thompson. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. I can't tell you how excited I am to dive into a couple of subjects with you. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this. I appreciate it. Well, so, you know, whenever I'm going to have a guest, I always like to do a little recon. And I'm going to describe you as the many paths of Kelly Thompson, because seriously, if you look at uh, leadership, women's leadership coach, not just a coach, not just a leadership coach, but you really dive into helping other women, which I love. And hello, Stevie, award winner. Yes, we do have a a coach of the year among us. So congratulations for that. Thank you. You're a speaker, you're an author. Let's not forget your wife to Jason and your mom to Haley. So a fellow working woman, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't even know where we start to unpack all that other than maybe before speaking and coaching and being, coming an author, what did, what did Kelly Thompson do? What did you look like then? What was life like? Oh, I wish it was just that easy. You know, I grew up in corporate America, so I am a corporate veteran. And I spent um, over 12 years in banking, close to 14 years in banking. So, you know, I am familiar with the mortgage industry quite well. And, you know, if you would have asked me when I was in banking, if I ever would have got off on my own, I would have told you, oh, I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. You know, I spent the majority of my banking career. um, I started in sales and then I was a sales trainer, went to leadership development, eventually went to human resources and, you know, um, doing more leadership development type work. I did leave banking and I went to go work for a tech company where I oversaw HR. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was really in those roles where I started to notice that, gosh, it's pretty common for me to be one of the only women in the rooms where decisions are made, you know, banking and technology. And I was in healthcare tech by nature, our male dominated industries. And so it wasn't uncommon for me, especially as an HR leader, to have a lot of women come into my office and say, ooh, there's this job on the posting board, but gosh, I don't know if I should apply for it. Do I have all the qualifications? And you know what? Men just didn't come in with those sorts of doubts. They would reach out to me and be like, hey, this job's posted. What do I got to do? Who do I got to talk to? You know? And that really started to kind of pique my interest because I'm like, I really love talking to women and helping women advance because I noticed there was kind of a confidence gap, hence the title of my book. But I took a quick pit stop and I worked for another author and entrepreneur for about three years and I did leadership development work. And that's really, I got my first taste that, you know what? 
maybe I could be an entrepreneur. She can do it. She makes it look so easy. And, you know, in 2019, I had um, just recently been remarried. My daughter was getting older. I was traveling a lot because I was traveling all over the country, delivering leadership training. And I wanted to be home more. And so there was a piece of my job that I really loved that I'd been doing more of. And that was one-to-one coaching. And, you know, there wasn't full-time work for one-to-one coaching in her role, but she said, you know what, let's just be partners. You can kind of take this client you're working on with you. And I thought to myself, if I was ever going to go off on my own, like now is the time. And so in 2019, I left corporate and I started my own leadership coaching practice. And it was um, after the pandemic in 2020 that I went all in on focusing on women. And so, yes, my mission is to help women advance to the rooms where decisions are made. And we do that by having one-on-one coaching or by going into organizations and doing group programs for employee resource groups or speaking at women's conferences. And it's been a lot of fun, you know, uh, working on this mission. And it's something I'm, I'm definitely passionate about. That's obvious. That's very obvious. Well, you know what? I think it's needed. So as a as a fellow professional woman who has been in those meetings, who's been at those tables, and especially in the world of, of finance and banking and, and even HR to some extent, right? It's it's male dominant, which is you know good, fine, but if you're not a confident woman and then you just don't know how, you just don't know what to do and how which is a great segue because I want to lead into a little bit about your book, mm-hmm. Closing the Confidence Gap. So, of course, I love that we're focusing on confidence because I, even if, I mean, think about this, even if someone does not aspire to move up the ladder, we still want them to have confidence in their current role, right? To own their position, mm-hmm. to, to be in their, in their right place. And so you've heard the saying, showing is better than telling, asking is better than telling, and it matters who says it. So of course, I'm on your website poking around and uh, what some of the others are saying about your book, I'd like to share with our audience. Um, Cy Wakeman, you and I both know Cy, fellow author, keynote speaker, consultant, etc. cetera. Um, she calls, she, she said that your book calls women to the highest form of empowerment. So there's that confidence word, empowerment word. Um, Liz Simpson, who I didn't know Liz, founder and CEO of Stimulus, right? She's she's looked at as um, a LinkedIn influencer. So what makes someone an influencer? Number of followers, maybe? Followers and reach, yeah. yeah. She's also a speaker. And she says, and I love this because this is one of my biggest pet peeves, I, I would say, in corporate America or business in general. She says, if you're tired of outdated leadership books and repeat the same old perspective frameworks, that your book is a, a breath of fresh air. And I think that's probably one of the things where, you know, you've got the type of leader that's a, a stick and you've got the type of leader that has the carrot. And then I think in today's world, you need to be more collaborative engage right intentional about being with your people and listening um so i love i love what they have to say so i thought it'd be kind of fun just to kind of jump into what would you say to fill in the blank so what would you say to i'm due for a raise mm-hmm. what's the first thing you would tell someone you know before they jump into that conversation or try to start negotiating what, what would your best advice be to that person? 
Yeah. I really just have, you know, three tips for them. If they're due for a raise, you know, I think, you know, it is important to go out and just, just check. I think it's important every once in a while to just see what is this job being paid in the market? There, the beauty of salary transparency laws these days is that there is so much salary information published on LinkedIn, on mm -hmm. Glassdoor, on salary.com, payscale.com. There's a new website called opencomp.com. And you could just go out and say, okay, as a director of XYZ, um, you know, what is this role typically paid? And it's important to not just match the title, but to look at the descriptions of the actual work and make sure that lines up as well. What is this person being paid in my industry? What are they being paid in my locale? I mean, let's not take an Omaha salary and compare it to San Jose. You're going to lose every time, right? So you got to be very smart about that. So, you know, go get your data. What is this being paid in the market? You know, that way we don't just go into our annual review time and say, oh, great, I got a 4% raise. That's higher than normal. Great, I'll take it. Like, I think every year is a good opportunity for us to take a look at market data. And if you go out and you look at market data and you say, in fact, you know what, actually, I think there is a pretty big gap between what I'm being paid and what is being demanded in the market. And this can be very common, especially when you have worked at the same organization for many years, because the phenomenon of what happens when you work at the same organization for many years is you often get just put into those 3%, 4% increases. Well, lots of times, not only does that not keep up with inflation, but it may not keep up with the market rates of what they're paying for your job that they have to pay new people you know, who come into the organization to get them. So look at the data. And then if you decide, wow, I think there is a gap and I need a bigger raise, I need a market adjustment. I want you to make a list of your unique value proposition that you offer that organization. Don't just go in and say, I'm a good leader. I'm good at playing with others. I'm a good collaborator. Like that's very generic. Let's be specific. I want you to be specific as to these are three of the unique things that I've contributed to this organization in the last 12 to 18 months. And here were the results of those things. This is key is to be able to tie, like I deserve this market increase because these are the results that I'm providing the organization. It could be things like I improved revenue, I reduced risk, I reduced expenses, I led change. And then after you've got your data, after you make your case, these are my unique skills and these are the results that my organization has brought, I want you to pull together your ask. You know, if you need to write it out first, if you need to practice it on your iPhone, in front of your pet, in front of your partner, like don't be the first time you ask for this, like when you get in front of your leader. And then I think the last step is then just to ask your leader and you know your leader best. So if you know your leader is going to respond well by putting this in an email first and then having the conversation, do it that way. Maybe your leader responds best by just getting in front of them and having the convo. But just to summarize that, get your data, make your case, practice your ask, and make your ask in a way that you know that your leader is going to hear it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing advice. So, so good. We, we just had a leadership summit in Herman, Missouri. If you've never been, super cute, wine country. It was, it was great, great, great to spend time with our fellow leaders across our organization. And we looked at job descriptions and it was so interesting to me because, you know, there's these labels, right? C1, just as an example, C1, 2, 3, 4, whatever, C or A. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to me to say, okay, well, how do you really differentiate? And then, like you said, you know, is it just that standard 3 or 4%? Is it, you know, how do you bring value to what you do so that you can demand more? So that's, that's amazing. So how about, um, I really love this concept of 
aligning your purpose with your paycheck. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So one of the things that I really advocate for, and this is came through my own stumbles in corporate America, I guess you could say, is that I remember being at the same organization for 12 years, amazing organization, best place to work. You know, people lined up to work there by all, you know, things on paper. I should have been really happy. I should have been super engaged. I should have been so grateful to work there. And I think that was a lot of the talk track I had in my head. But, you know, one of the things that I kept noticing was every 12 to 18 months, I kept switching jobs because I just was bored. I was just bored. And I think I was, you know, at about year 10 and I was driving home. And I remember that afternoon I had been looking at the the posting boards and I'm like, oh my gosh, here I go again. Like I, this is, this is a cycle. I need to do something about this. Like, why do I keep just getting so bored so quickly? And I really kind of had to like start learning to ask myself some hard questions, including like, oh my gosh, am I meant to actually stay at this company? And um, that was really scary to me because this kind of, this organization had kind of raised me, you know? And so, you know, one of the things I noticed was not only did maybe my personal working values not align with the values of the organization and how they made decisions, but you know what? I kind of figured that, and this is true of anybody in financial services, I was a really creative person working in a heavily, heavily regulated industry. You know, if you're going to work for a bank or any financial services company, banks are going to bank. And that means they have a lot of rules to follow. And me as a creative individual, I was like, I just don't like that. There's some people, you know, my husband actually works at a bank. He loves it. He loves all the rules. And when, so I talk about aligning your purpose and your paycheck, it's really slowing down and asking yourself, like, do my values match the values of the organization? And not just what they have advertised on their website, but how they actually make decisions. The next question is, is, you know, does this job allow me to use my best talents every day? You know, that was key is they just didn't really have a lot of funding for me to use my best talents in places that were exciting to me. And there's a type of burnout that doesn't come from overwork. It's called rust out. And it's when you show up every day and you're feeling burnout because you are not using your best talents. Like you literally feel like I'm getting rust, rusty because I'm not like using the things that I'm best at every single day. And I really had to think about like, well, what is my energy level at the close of most business days? And, and is this job helping me move me closer to my career purpose and goals? And the answer was no. And a lot of those questions I had to learn myself to help me realize that, you know what, maybe the organization that I was at was not the right place. And that really prompted me to actually make a career change and find another organization that did align with my values in the way I wanted to work, that did allow me to use my best talents every day because they had a department for that or, you know, a budget dollars to support it that would help me move closer to my career purpose and goals. And so when I say align your purpose and your paycheck, I think a lot of times one of the reasons why women come to work with me is because they're burnt out and not because of overwork, but because of rust out. And it's because maybe they're in the golden handcuffs. They make really good money or the organization has amazing benefits, but like every day they feel like they're pushing a rock uphill. And really by starting and asking ourselves some better questions and being intentional about the type of work that we're looking for and the type of company we want to work for, we can really create alignment and get paid well for the things that, that we love to do. I love that. Be in alignment. So how do you, how do you, how would you address, you know, let's say that someone's at, they feel they're at the right company, they're in the right department, they're probably in the right role, but they don't necessarily jive with their direct report. Because, you know, you know, you talk about purpose and alignment, and there's so, there's so many different ways and places to be in alignment. 
You know, you might have a fantastic organization and tippy top down leadership is amazing, but maybe, you know, maybe there's that supervisor that you don't really jive with. Mm -hmm. Same same thing, find find alignment in every part and piece. Well, here's the thing. And I always tell this to folks, like in every job that you go to, you're not going to have a perfect boss. In fact, in probably over 50% of your career, you're going to work for somebody that you're like, eh. (laughs) You know, I think like bosses exist on a bell-shaped curve, right? It's like, you know, 25% of the time, you're probably going to have a boss that you just love. You would follow them to the ends of the earth. You know, maybe, you know, 50% of the time, you'll have a boss that you just feel kind of indifferent about. Like, you know what? They're fine. They're fine. It's all fine. And you know what, then maybe sometimes 25% of the time you're going to have a boss where you're like, you know, this person is teaching me a lot of what I don't want. And so I think you kind of have to go up 50,000 feet. And I have, I've been through this and I've had clients who've been through this. And you really just have to ask yourself, like, is a supervisor that I don't like worth leaving an organization that honestly I do enjoy? I do feel aligned with, I do see a lot of purpose here because, you know, I think the average job tenure these days is like 18 months. And so I always tell folks, like, if you don't jive with your supervisor, like one, you can choose to wait it out. Like number two, which, and lots of times they'll send me an email, like nine months later, they're like, yep, got a new boss, you know, and we all laugh because that just happens. Yeah. You know, number two is like, I think it's really important that when we have a supervisor, we don't jive with to make sure that we're doing what we can to establish like team working agreements, norms of communication. How well do I know my boss, my boss's triggers? Have I even asked or told my boss how I want to be communicated with? Like, does my boss even know what's important to me? And so often when we have like disconnects with our supervisors and I ask them in coaching, well, like, tell me what you've done with your boss to, you know, let them know that they're like nothing. (laughs) And so sometimes it's like, this is where we need to have that courage to show up and have a conversation with our leader about what we want, what our boundaries are. And if you're in a situation where you've done all that, and you do really want to stick it out in the organization, but you don't love your supervisor, then it's important for you to set what I call like little micro boundaries. So, you know, and what I mean by that is you may not love your boss or the way they lead, but you can ask yourself, okay, well, what is this teaching me? How is this happening for me? What do I need to do to protect my own time and energy at work? You know, what boundaries do I need to set with my boss about how much time I'll spend on something or at something so that I can kind of keep my sanity while I kind of, you know, maybe either find something different at the organization or, you know, wait this out or, you know, decide what my right next step is. I love that. No, that's perfect. So last bullet point, and then back to you, Kelly. Mm -hmm. So this concept of reframing flaws and getting closer to or clear on your unique talent. So similar to what we've been talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So reframing Mm -hmm. flaws, we all have them. We all have flaws. I mean, they aren't going to go away. And so what does that mean? Reframing them and then talk about the unique piece. Yeah, absolutely. You said something earlier in the podcast, and so I want to bring this full circle. You said, you know, leaders today need to be more collaborative, and, and you listed a couple of other things. And what this really refers to is the gender likability biases at work. You know, lots of times I have um, companies who want to sign up employees for coaching, and it's usually a man. Because most, most men are, most CEOs are still men today. Yeah. And lots of times what they'll say is, hey, Kelly, can you coach this leader? She really needs to work on her executive presence. And I'll say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about how you define executive presence. Because lots of times what we still get 
is a very masculine uh, way of being. Well, she needs to be less emotional, more direct, more strategic, more logical, more blah, 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 blah. Or sometimes when this individual does demonstrate more masculine qualities, like assertiveness, directness, an emotionality, she gets penalized because women aren't supposed to behave that way. I use the word behave in quotation marks. And so lots of times, you know, both through like just some systemic issues and some gender likability biases, this especially affects women of color. You know, it can be really hard because, you know, we internalize a lot of these things, you know, oh gosh, you know, people say I'm too bossy, I'm too assertive, I'm too direct, I'm too emotional, I'm too blank to lead. Yeah. And every time I ask women, because I know I felt this way, I was always called too direct or too unemotional, too blunt. I'm constantly self-censoring. And that constant self-censoring is exhausting. And it's like this emotional burden, I think sometimes that a lot of women carry because they're constantly self-censoring in a place that men just don't really have to self-censor all that much. You know, back to my conversation with the CEOs who want to sign folks up for training. You know, I often say, well, you know what? Could emotion, could executive presence look any different? Do we need to expand our definition of emotion, you know, um, executive presence? You know, what are you, what are you basing that off of? Because I really want to challenge the conversation because a lot of the things that I work on my clients with are like, for instance, Lynette, what have you always been told? You're too what? Mm, uh, that's uh, bossy. Bossy, okay. Um, I would say bossy, just similar to you, direct. Mm -hmm. um, high expectations. Yeah, yeah. And so what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, nothing. Like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Yeah, that's what women are saying. What's wrong with this? So let me ask you, but sometimes they think that those are their flaws. So how has being um, bossy and direct helped you in your career? Uh, oh, well, because, you know, I'm a get her done kind of girl. And so, yeah. you know, results come when you, when you're direct and I call it proactive. Some, yeah. some might bossy. I really get proactive. Um, you know, things get done as they should get done. And, and I think where I self, what did you call it? Um, censor? Yeah. Where I self-censor is I have to be careful to not be abrasive mm -hmm. and or to, um, you know, because if you're, too, if you're too anything, people will shut down and they won't respond, they won't react, they won't engage, I have found. So there's that line between yeah. how do you, how do you lead, how do you lead and still have positive engagement so that things move forward, people move forward. You know, you help yeah. people grow in their space. I love that. You know, you just yeah. demonstrated very well about how like these unique things about you actually have been your greatest gifts. They help you get things done. They help you get results, right? They help you drive change. They help you do all of these things. And I think sometimes we forget about that. And then you use already something else that I encourage all my clients to do, which is like, you're right. You know what? I, I can't be direct to the point of being um, abrasive or blunt because that just doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't help me build relationships. And so I need to think about, well, what do I value? Like, what are my leadership values? And one of the things you said was that you didn't want to be abrasive. So when you think about maybe like a core leadership value of yours or how you want someone else to describe you if you weren't in the room, like what would maybe two of those words be? Oh, wow. You know, I was interviewing one of my real estate friends, not too long ago for the podcast, and she says, "Well, what if I want to ask you a question?" Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait. Let me let me let me stop the record. 
Um, and she wanted to know how 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 do I stay so driven? Mm. And that was just an interest. That was a very interesting observation for me because I I am driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's do 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 get her done next next. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There there's so much. That'll be part two. Well, and we'll unpack me next time. Yeah. Well, let me just give you an example. So sometimes for those of us who are direct, you know, and I work with my clients on defining their leadership values. Which is just kind of in in short, how would you want other people to describe you when you are not in the room? Because the majority of the decisions, you know, that happen sometimes about your career happen when you're not in the room, as Carla Harris says. And, you know, so my 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 values are like love, respect, um, creativity, family, and learning. So when I really think about my flaw, quote unquote, flaw of directness, I really had to think about, well, how do I be direct and respectful? How can I be direct and loving? So I really encourage women, instead of trying to like hide and self-censor all these flaws about them, like let's just own them as gifts. Let's talk about how they've helped us and let's talk about the situations and then when they are precisely needed. And let's talk about how we can blend these, this approach in alignment with your values so that you're building the relationships you want. So you're getting the results that you want because it's not about hiding it and self-censoring it. It's like, how do we show up as more of ourselves, you know, in a way that feels good to us? No, I love that. Yeah, I would say, and that's a great thing to think about. Driven, I would say, successful, kind. Yeah. You know, all of the loving, all of those things that we want to be. Um, but also I think that I have a passion around is helping others grow, just like mm-hmm. you. How do you help someone get from where they are to where they want to be? What yeah. does that look like? Yeah. So is there anything else before, I just want to touch on a couple things before we wrap up. Anything else about the book, which is amazing, that you would like our audience to know or hear? Yeah, I think just, you know, in short, the book is called Closing the Confidence Gap, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential, and Your Paycheck. And you can read the Amazon reviews. The Amazon reviews say this already, but, you know, a lot of people think, oh, this is going to be a book of confidence tips, and it's not. It actually um, does two things. It takes a look of, at the systemic issues that women face in the workplace today, things like the gender pay gap, the confidence gap, um, just some of the likability biases, um, how much unpaid um, and non-promotable work that women take on in the office that keeps them overwhelmed and overworked. So it takes a look at a lot of systemic things. But then, you know, I wish we could change the systems overnight, but we can't. So it gives you like practical tools and honestly, like really personal stories of, you know, how to approach some of these circumstances in the workplace and things that you can do, you know, in spite of some of these circumstances. And so as you and I were chatting before, there's a toolkit you can download um, and take with you so that you can apply these in the workplace right away. And that was really my goal was to give women like a real look at both things that are out of your control and then also how you can step in and have agency or as Cy Wakeman said, you know, really show up in your own power at work and, and take back the control that you have. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I'm sure you get lots of positive feedback, which is amazing. So let's talk about a couple last minute things. If you could spend time with anyone, whether it's a mentorship that's long-term or just grab coffee with someone and pick their brain, who would it be? It would be my great grandma. I wrote about her in my book and it's honestly the most commented on story from my book because my great grandma went to college in the 1920s when women didn't do that, got married, And her husband was on the railroad. And so that meant she was running this thousand acre farm in Western Nebraska by herself. 
No, because she went to college and actually she had a job from age 15. She was shrewd. She knew the cost of things. She knew marketing. She knew human behavior. She knew how balance sheets worked. And she was unfortunately widowed in 1961, which this is really important because remember in 1961, women couldn't sign checks in their own name. They couldn't borrow money in their own name. Um, you know, there was a lot of things that they could not do. And um, so she was four foot 11 in stature, but like she would walk into like farm supply stores or to like buy a new tractor. And like the employees knew her, they wouldn't even work with her. They would immediately go get the manager. Oh because they knew she was there to like negotiate down to the penny. And remember, this is 1961. Yeah. Women don't do that. Yeah. You know, so just imagine all the things that she was called, kind of like per our conversation, bossy, shrewd, a witch, you know, all those sort of things. <laughs> but she just had this way of moving through the world, like because she was all those things, like she fed her family as a widow. She ran this eight, this ranch on cash. You know, I mean, she bought a bus on cash to, to transport her workers. Like who could do that today? And so, I mean, just how she lived this alternative life in a way that was so mission driven and, you know, in a way that kept such a legacy, like I would love to just sit down and be like, how did you do this in Instagram and TikTok. See you next time.